Hello, beautiful listeners, and thank you for tuning in to Writing Away to Wellness, a podcast produced by Girls Right Now and hosted by me, Sally Familia. Writing Away to Wellness is a podcast where Girls Right Now community members of all ages, racial and cultural backgrounds, careers, and crafts engage in holistic conversations about wellness in relation to the arts of writing. From avid journalists to authors committed to passing down the tools they have learned to survive the silly world, Writing Away to Wellness is the bridge that leads us to gentle hearts and creative minds. In this final episode of Writing Away to Wellness, we're talking about the source of a lot of the stress in our lives, work. As writers, it can be hard to find workplaces that value our creativity and also give us the time and space to recharge our energy. But it's not impossible. Janine Marie Rousseau, a community coordinator at Girls Right Now, chats with community manager Emily Rigby about finding joy in maintaining an authentic connection to your purpose in the workplace. Listen to how these writers and employees reclaim their stories, and in doing so, reclaim their power. Hello, hello everyone. My name is Janine Marie Russo. I am a community coordinator with Girls Right Now. I work particularly with Career360, and my journey is, is well, I have a little bit of a windy journey, right? I started off as a community coordinator with Girls Right Now for the 2022 to 2023 program year. Um, I worked with Career360, helping to launch that as it was a pilot program last year, and then I moved into a part-time capacity for this year, the 2023 to 2024 program year, working as an advisor with Career360. So just to tell you a little bit more about Career360 and the labor of love that it really was, uh, seven months ago, I'll say, I did uh, coach a small cohort of early career pros, maybe about 10, 11 were in the pilot program. And the key takeaway of the program is that when it comes to nabbing a career you love, you have the power. And I think it was a bit controversial, I think for some folks who might've been hearing the message, not mentees in the program, uh, but just folks that I was conversing with at the time. Uh, in my career, because A, there were tech layoffs, lots and lots of tech layoffs. Uh, And then a few people were saying to me, you know, your group is also pretty early in their career. So they have no power yet. Um, And so those two points that I just mentioned, not really the point, in my opinion, and only about 50% accurate. You know, was I aware of the recent upticks in tech layoffs? Of course. Had I already been considering adding it as an addendum to my message? Briefly. But of all the folks in the cohort, absolutely none of them were interested in breaking into tech. For this reason, I did make a mental note to mention it in passing, So they were aware of the current state of the job market, but I didn't really see the need to dwell on it or write it down to be included in the supplemental materials, right? 
Now, the second amend or sorry, the second statement, I 100% disagreed with. You know, the pendulum of power had swung in a direction opposite its position at the time of the great reshuffle and the great resignation during the pandemic. It absolutely had. You know, do job seekers have the same leverage they did between 2020 and 2022? No. But this particular cohort of brilliant early career pros, they were not and never will be powerless. So I did voice my dissent. I continuously expressed this idea throughout the 90-day Career 360 program. And to me, the moral of the story has several layers, right? One, know your audience. You know, you don't want to distract them with info not aligned to their specific goals and interests. Two, you want to always empower others by pointing out what they have, not what they don't. And three, in your career, whether you are at the start of it, the middle of it, the end of it, or anywhere in between, right? Point A, B, C, D, E, F, or Z, right? You are not and you never will be powerless, right? There's always a next move. There's always something you can do. There are ways that you can reclaim your power in the workforce and over your career trajectory. And that is a big part of wellness, right? Because so much of who we are is tied into what we do for better or for worse, right? I know we're at a place where a lot of us are really considering what that means for our mental health and how entwined our work is with who we are. But that is why I am super excited to have this conversation with our guest, Emily Rigby, of all people. Emily also works at Girls Right Now. And so, Emily, I'm going to stop yammering for just a moment and turn it over to you to introduce yourself and, and who you are and all of the amazing things you do at Girls Right Now. Oh, of course. Thank you so much, Janine. And it is such a pleasure to be here to chat with you today about wellness and career and writing and all fabulous things. Um, but my name is Emily Rigby. I am a community manager with Girls Right Now. I have been a part of this organization for a little bit over two years. Uh, when I first joined Girls Right Now, it was as a program manager for Publishing 360, which was a program really based around getting the work of our mentees out into the world in different ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, and that is still a huge part of what I do at Girls Right Now uh, as kind of part of our editorial team. And it, yeah, it means a lot to me to be able to get the work of young people out into the world and have people read it and enjoy it and uh, be shaped by it or be inspired by it, whatever uh, way that they choose to interact with that work is, I uh, yeah, a really big core component of what I do and why. Thank you so much for sharing that, Emily. Emily, I've shared this with you before privately, um, and I'll share it with you again on this podcast so the entire world will know how wonderful you are. But <laughs> I said that, you know, I've learned so much from you in in the relatively short amount of time we've worked together. Um, you are an incredibly warm, positive person. You do so much, but I've never once heard you say the words, that is not my job. You know, people want to work with you. And bringing it back to the theme of this podcast episode, you know, within the world of work, that is power. 
what was a moment that shaped how you navigate the workplace in the way that you do? Oh, yeah. Well, first, thank you so much. I You are one of the kindest people I have ever known, and it is such a joy to get to interact I, with you and with I. We have a fantastic team at Girls right now, so that is a compliment that I would extend to I, all of them as well. But yeah, I would say... I think a lot of my work ethic and my feelings about work in general do kind of strive from just sort of a core feeling of of enjoying people and I wanting to kind of understand where people are coming from and coming to situations with curiosity. I think uh, one core moment for me, uh, and this is kind of before I Emily was the sort of warm, welcoming uh, person that you now know. And I'm glad that I am perceived that way now. I'm glad that I have, uh, you know, gotten to a point where that is how the world uh, takes me in because that was not always the case. And I, one of my first jobs, I was working at a private equity hedge fund, if you can believe that. Uh, I was working as an executive assistant and, you know, it had just moved to New York City and needed a job to pay the bills. And the wife was not interested at all kind of in finance or in that world. I knew nothing about it. Needed to, you know, I pay rent and have groceries. And so had kind of a survival job. And so I can pinpoint a moment at that position uh, where I... Basically, there was an executive at that uh, hedge fund who took our whole admin team, which happened to all be uh, made of women, uh, where the rest of the workplace was a bit more skewed towards the male population. But he sat all of us down and he had this lecture for us where he was explaining to us that there are people who are uh, type A kind of people who are capable of kind of doing admin work, kind of supporting other people, and not really interested or capable of doing much more than that. And then there were type B people who could certainly do the admin work, but really had aspirations and drive to do more than that. And he kind of took a look at his team of admins and was just like, I'm really thrilled that you are all type A people. And it was in that moment... (laughs) And I was maybe 24, 25. I was young. But it was in that moment that I sort of, one, got very angry. I I, kind of, my instinct to be seen and be understood felt very, I felt very kind of ignored, right? I felt like I, as a person who is complicated and I... I think everyone is capable of doing literally anything they want to in their life. And also that admin work is nothing to be looked down on or treated as if it is simple or easier than any other kind of work. But I think in that moment, I felt very small and like I was asked to remain small. And it was, I think that was a turning point for me. One, to try and question my own anger and embrace that moment with curiosity, which I think is a really important tactic whenever I feel a big, particularly negative emotion building inside me is to stop and say, how can I get curious here? How can I try and understand both what is 
coming at me from someone else, but also what am I bringing to this table that is making this emotion happen, right? And so in that moment, I think I just, I found a place of curiosity where I could say, why is that how I'm being perceived? Why am I expected or being told that I am one kind of person when I feel that all of us, every single person, everyone in that room and beyond can do anything that they would like to do? And kind of where is this person coming from that that is his perspective and that is the perspective that he feels clearly was going to be a comforting, empowering thing to say to us, right? And so it was in that moment, too, that I decided I had to get out of that job. <laughs> At the time, I talked a lot about finding something that was going to to feed my soul, something that was going to certainly pay the bills. That is always really important, but also something that was going to I, allow me to be more of my full self at work. So I'd say that was that was a moment that I, stands out in memory as a switch for me. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that, Emily. You gave us an entire word right there. I just feel like there are so many nuggets of wisdom to unpack there, and it's been giving me fuel for my next set of questions that I have for you, but I'm not entirely sure where to start because <laughs> you just gave you just gave us so much to unpack. So two ideas that you shared throughout your story that I'm really excited about are this idea of, you know, you started off by talking about how you're 24, you're working with this hedge fund. It wasn't a job that necessarily excited you. It was just a job to pay the bills. So I guess we can we can kind of start there because the theme of this podcast episode, for me, when I was thinking about this topic, about career, about wellness, was the idea that we need to kind of take power back and, and reclaim our stories, reclaim who we are in the workplace, reclaim our career trajectory. So it's such a multifaceted topic and what's been happening in the world of work and a lot of the conversations taking place about that. But the theme of this podcast in general is about wellness. And so I'm seeing the intersections so, so clearly. And I'm just wondering if you can unpack a little bit more about your feelings about doing a job just because it's paying the bills and navigating to a place that you are doing work, you are getting paid now for work that you love. So now both your needs are being met. You are working, you're, you're making the money necessary to survive in New York City, but you're also loving what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that that is what an enormous privilege, I will start by saying, that I, too, be someone who is, yes, making money, doing work, and the fact that I happen to love what I do is an enormous privilege that I understand that many, many people do not get to live. And I, I'm just, one, immensely grateful that I, that is what... Is happening in my life right now, but also can really look to the narrative of where I have been to understand how this has happened, right? Like I went to school and got my uh, BA in creative writing. And so when you decide to do that, I think you kind of have an understanding that you're not going to graduate into a job market ever that is really excited to pay you for what you want to do. 
Uh, and that's okay, right? That, that is kind of a, you understand that the world functions in the way that it does, particularly in the United States, living under capitalism. There are certain things that make a lot more money than others. And creativity, as much as I wish that it made a lot more money, it just is not one of those things. And so going into the workforce, I was really honestly just looking for a day job. I was looking for something that I could do well enough that I liked enough. And that that would be kind of what carried me through. Uh, My first job was in Pittsburgh. Uh, I worked at the Carnegie Science Center, which was really fun. Uh, It was just uh, not quite enough financially to support my life as we were hourly. And it was just, you know, it was not enough to fully support an adult life. And so I, yeah, came to New York, got that job at the private equity hedge fund. And I think What I learned about work in those first few years of having a job and supporting myself and being out on my own was that work might be what you do, but work is never who you are, even when you love it, even when it is something that matters a lot to you. I think it is really important to me to continually separate my identity as a human being from what I do. And that I, I think one can keep you sane, particularly I, in the nonprofit world where everyone cares so much. It is hard to I, to close the computer and stop work at the end of the day because there's always more to do. There's always more voices to uplift and more work that we could be doing. So when you tie yourself to your job in that way, it becomes really hard to say no and to stop uh, because you want to be a person who is doing good work all the time. And thank you for sharing that perspective because, you know, Career 360 last year during our pilot program, our final boot camp um, was called Your Worth is Not Up for Negotiation. And it was, the idea came to me to, to kind of title it that for that exact reason, everything that you just mentioned, you know, I was, it was sort of brought to me as, okay, the final boot camp needs to be on workplace authenticity and salary negotiations or, you know, other types of negotiations that take place either before you start a job or while you are in the middle of a job, while you are spending time in the workplace. And, I just thought about it again. I was like, you know, we not only do we attach so much of our identities to what we do, we also value ourselves or devalue ourselves based on that. And so I thought, well, my goodness, we need to come up with methods or or learn about ways in which we can separate the two. And I just thought, okay, we're talking about salary negotiations, but the idea is that we're sitting here attaching our jobs to our identities. And so what does a salary negotiation look like? Is it we are sitting here discussing that my skills and expertise are worth this amount of of money, X amount of dollars? Or is it that you are telling me that I, I, Janine Marie Rousseau, is worth X amount of dollars? And even though, of course, somebody might say, well, duh, Janine, obviously it's the former, it doesn't always feel like that, right? Because again, 
who we are, what we do. They're so closely, you know, entwined. And so I wanted us to kind of take a step back and realize that like, hey, what your skills are, like what you're bringing to the table is not who you are. And you might decide that your skills and your experience are worth X amount, but you, my friends, are worth so much more than that. And so that idea to me was important because then it it ties so much into kind of what you were sharing earlier about how your boss in the very first story that you shared made you feel so incredibly small, you know? And that's why I bring this up. Like, it just blows my mind that your boss, even though I appreciate the spin that you put on it by saying, you know what, I'm going to get curious. I'm going to try and figure out why my boss had this perception of me. It still blows my mind that, that he had the power to thrust a narrative on you and your colleagues and make you feel that small, you know? Yeah. No, I think it is people are, certain people, I think are really interested in power, in having power and maintaining it and getting more power that feels safe for them. It feels safe for them to have that power and to exert it over other people. I think Frequently, you see that in uh, kind of higher ups at any particular company. I, and that can be a thing that I am really conscious of as I grow in my own career, right? I'm kind of really practicing not feeling that need as I, I you know, I'm a manager now, right? So I have I kind of younger employees who I get to manage and support and mentor and I am really, really careful to never exert power in that way, right? That it is always, for me, the gift of being given I, someone to manage, a young person who is, I, you know, maybe newer in their career or starting a different career or whatever it is, but that they have been given me as someone to help guide and lead them. All I want to do is support them and uplift them and I find out what skills and talents they have or would like to grow and help them to do that. And I really, I as I grow hopefully more and more in my career, I hope to always be checking myself and making sure that I am doing this for the good of the employees that I am working with, for my colleagues, for I when it's nonprofit work, for the good of the organization, for the mission, right? But I never, ever want to fall into the trap of enjoying that power, right? That feels like not the point and not what I want to be doing. But yeah, I think for a lot of people, it is how they feel security and safety in what they do is to have power over their other people and their narratives. How do you set boundaries? I mean, boundaries are so important. And I think I have learned a lot about boundaries over the past few years of, I think I used to think about boundaries as a lot of people do as kind of uh, things that you can tell other people to stop the way that they are doing something. And that's not at all what they are, right? Boundaries are for ourselves. Boundaries are ways that we can control ourselves and what we allow in our lives. And so I can set a boundary that says, I totally cool. If you want to be working until 10, 11 PM tonight, I am not going to do that. 
I understand that like this project is important and X, Y, and Z. I am going to step away. So you can do things like that. And that can be really hard to do, particularly when you are asked to do things that are maybe outside of your own personal boundaries. But I think I really, I hope that we are all growing as a society and a community that is really just not used to hearing boundaries. I think <laughs> like, I... I am shocked in the best possible way when I, particularly when our mentees, young people will offer a boundary of their own, just saying like, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about this topic and I know this is a required event, but I don't want to go to it. And that is a really fantastic boundary. And I really, I think that practice is becoming more and more common and hopefully it will kind of work its way up from younger generations into generations kind of advanced years of me, just because I think those folks need them too. I think just because the, it hasn't been as popular or common to set those boundaries, particularly in the workplace, I think those conversations are really important to happen intergenerationally, right? And to really respect and appreciate the space that people need to take or want to take. I really hope that we move into a place where we are not waiting until we are burnt out and overexhausted and overtired. And we are taking space and setting boundaries before that, before we get to that point to protect ourselves and protect our space and our peace. So yeah, I mean, I think setting boundaries is about controlling your own behavior, saying, learning for yourself what is too much? What is enough? What is not enough? Right. And to be able to state that to others so that they can support you uh, to the best of their ability. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, Emily. So my next set of questions are really just about your transition again into who you are and what you do, but then also just looking at it from a mentorship perspective. I mean, I think that really is at the heart of what we do. I think that even in the course of this conversation, you have shown yourself to be a very forward-thinking individual. You care very much about community. You care very much about future generations and what you're leaving behind. That is what I get from you. That is your essence. That is a lot of what you have shared and not so many words, right? That's a lot of what you have shared in the course of this conversation. And so my first question um, aligned with that is I'm going to invite you to think back to who you were when you graduated college. Um, and you've shared again, a bit of your, of your journey, right. In your earlier years. But one thing in your very first story that you shared in this conversation, you talked about this idea of, navigating the world of work as somebody who is a creative person, but knowing that capitalism being what it is, <laughs> values certain fields more than others. And so I'd like for you to start there. If you can just unpack a little bit about your decision to enter the fields that you did, to enter the creative space, um, with the concerns that it might not provide as you might like for it to, especially being young and in New York City. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, choosing more creative work, which I for me has taken the shape of nonprofit work, 
which there are a million different ways to be creative and support creativity. But I think for me, nonprofit work has really spoken to that need my soul has to be doing something that is hopefully benefiting the world. Uh, but yeah, I think you kind of have to come to terms with the fact that capitalism, that the system that we are all kind of living, surviving under is going to is going to prioritize productivity in the way that I, creative work sometimes and sometimes does not really speak to, right? Like, I think creative work is all about enjoying the process of a thing, how things get built, how we imagine the world, all of this really great, important work that I think does push us forward as a society. And I think capitalism really values what is going to make money? What is I? What are the products that we can sell, and I, you know, make money from that, and then make more products and make more money from that. And there isn't necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. It may or may not be the system that I would prefer to live under, but here we are. And so I think that when it comes to creative work, there is a really there's a kind of strange tension between creativity and capitalism, I think, because at the end of the day, there is an industry uh, that uh, speaks to kind of particularly what we do, particularly writing. There is a whole publishing industry. It exists. It's out there. And it is working really hard to try and marry those two feelings, that creativity under capitalism idea. And so I think there are pathways into that that speak to both sides of it. I think I have found a really delightful pathway into it, moving from something that really, like, I, before I was in nonprofit work, it was very much kind of do your work at work and then go home and you can do whatever you want to do. And that's really fair. But moving into nonprofit work, it has always felt more like, your creativity is part of what you're bringing to the table and it's really honored and respected and a part of what you're doing. Uh, particularly, I have, I've written a lot of curriculum as a part of my work in nonprofit. I have I, gotten to inspire creativity in young people, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do. And so I think there is a complication there where it comes time to get paid to do something like that, right? It becomes a sort of odd aspect of it where I love it so much it almost feels like I shouldn't, right? I There are air quotes around the shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't be getting paid to do something that I enjoy, which is another fascinating element of capitalism, right? That if you are enjoying something, then you should pay to do that, not be paid to do it, right? And I think that is really destructive to the way that we structure our lives and the I the notion that I feel incredibly lucky to do what I do but also that I there are a million people out there kind of making their creativity on their own time and are not being paid for that and I think that that aspect of it I would love if as a society we could really take a look at why we devalue creativity and value productivity in the way that we do. And I would love to see that needle shift a bit towards the valuing of creativity. But yeah, for me, it has meant that I get to enjoy my whole day. I get to enjoy the work that I'm doing at work. And then when I close my laptop and go, you know, 
write my own novels or short stories or whatever I'm doing, I get to enjoy that as well. Except one of those I'm being paid for and one of those I am not. Uh, but yeah, it is an enormous privilege to get to feel that way about work. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I, I really wanted to ask you that question just because, you know, again, the idea of taking back your power in the workplace, right? Like that is really what I saw as being the heart of this episode. And I think a lot of that being able to take back your power is really asking yourself, what do you want to do? What is it that will bring you joy at the end of the day? You know, are there elements of your work or the things that you're doing right now that bring you such dread? You don't want to do it. Well, then guess what? You don't have to do that. I think there are so many options these days. You can find a niche for yourself. And I think that took me a little while to learn, really. One of the reasons why I was so excited to have this conversation with you is because we are so close in age. And so we've had a lot of conversations and I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. You're checking all the boxes. You're telling me exactly, you know, what is so um, tied to our generation, right? And I think that, you know, for me, I mean, you talk about being 24 and having this sort of awakening in your career. For me, it happened around 26. I thought, well, gee, I'm not really feeling where, I, where I'm where i at. You know, I, I went from being a journalist to being a classroom teacher to then working in the nonprofit space and really taking on this role of like a coach and facilitator, um, an educator of like adult learners. Um, but for me, that same sort of, well, you know what? I don't want to be doing this anymore. This is my this is my skill set. This is what I'm good at. But I don't like to do all of these things. This, the smaller subset of my skills are what I actually like to do. So, let me try to get a little bit closer to that. And I wasn't I didn't always hit the mark every time, but from that moment, from that conversation I had with myself, each job I did have brought me a little bit closer to doing all the things that I like and nothing else. I mean, and that's not to say you're not going to have parts of your day that aren't fantastic, but just in terms of doing what you like. Um, so I really do thank you for, for sharing all of that with me. And so my next question is going to be just about your advice to those of our listeners who are younger, who are maybe, you know, 24, 26, or even younger than that, and really trying to figure out not just what they want to do, but how to show up authentically in the workplace. What would your advice be to them? Yeah, no, thank you so much for that question. I think if I was going to offer a piece of advice, and this is so need for the girls right now, folks. But I think find community. Talk to your colleagues. Talk to your friends about their jobs and about what they enjoy about them, about how it feels to negotiate their salary. I think so often we are made to feel really ashamed for for wanting more money, for wanting a better position, for wanting to enjoy our work more. 
And I think that the more we talk about it and share out those feelings, the more we can understand that we're not alone, that we do have power to achieve what we would like to. And that I think that brings your true, authentic, vulnerable self to the table, right? That I opening yourself up to that and I, every salary negotiation I have had has only worked because I have had, you know, I, four group texts all being like, you better ask for that money, you better do it, or else I just wouldn't have, you know, because it's really scary. And I think that it is so incredibly important to have that network of people in your corner who are there, who know the person you, and who know you at work, who know the work that you are doing and who can uplift and support when you're feeling that imposter syndrome that you feel like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm good at any of this, I, like, I said the wrong thing, or I, like, I, I don't know if this lesson was that great, or whatever it is, that there are members of your team who can be there and say, no, you know what, like, I think this was really excellent, maybe we could tweak this next time, and support and grow. Be that I, team for you to help encourage you along and not there to criticize and push down, but to lift you up and to really be there on your side. So I would say, yeah, I, best way that I know to I, be yourself at work is to open up and talk to your community. Let yourself, let yourself be you, be that full human when you are in your workspace and the right people will find you if you put yourself out there. Thank you so much for sharing that. I don't think anybody could have said it better. And so with that, I'm going to turn it back over to you to share a writing prompt that might help our listeners unpack their feelings regarding work and wellness. Yeah, no, thank you. I am really excited to share this prompt. This came from actually a former manager of mine at uh, the org I worked at before Girls Right Now, which is great. Uh, and we would do this thing where we would try and find our why. So you're trying to find the core reason for something. And we would do this kind of in curriculum writing about kind of bias and understanding and kind of get students to kind of ask why a few different times to get to sort of their core assumptions about whatever topic. But I want to challenge everyone to find your why in terms of your work, in terms of your career. So I think of the work that you do and ask yourself, why is it important to you? What is at the core of your reason for doing the work that you do? What is at the core of the reason for writing what you write? Challenge yourself to ask why your initial response is important to you. Why is that secondary response important to you? And keep asking yourself why until you get to something that feels core to your reason for being and hold on to that feeling. So. I'll give an example of kind of what this might look like. Uh, so if I was to kind of take Girls Right Now and say, why is it important to work at Girls Right Now? I might say something like, my work at Girls Right Now is important to me because I get to publish the creative work of young people. So then we take that a step further and we say, why is it important to publish the creative work of young people? And then my response to that would be, it is important to publish the work of young people because I believe that creativity is a pathway to self-love and compassion for others. We take it a step further and ask why again. It can get a little annoying, but I promise you push through. 
I, so why are self-love and compassion for others important? And my response to that would be self-love and compassion for others are important to me because they are the tools I use to find peace and joy in my life. And then this one is the last level I did, but why is it important to have peace and joy in my life? It is important for me to have peace and joy in my life because I believe the time I have in this life is precious and short, and I intend to spend as much of that time as possible in a space of love. And so if you do this exercise, obviously you see it gets kind of big and existential real quick, but I think that... In those moments of stress or when you're feeling challenged at work, if you've kind of gone through this and found your core why, you can go back to that and really see what is important to you, what matters to you really, and focus on that. So you can certainly do this with your own work, wherever you are, what you're doing, why is that important to you? You can also ask, why is it important uh, to write Why is it important to engage with colleagues? Why is it important to respect boundaries? And this one I really like, and I'm working on myself. Why is it important to relax? Take some time, write through, break them down for a few different whys and see what you get to and see what feels true to you at the end of the day. Emily, thank you so, so much for sharing that wonderful prompt. Why? 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 Yeah, it's really important for us to know why. Why do we do the things that we do? It's literally asking that question sets us on the path to figuring out what it is that we want. And again, that is how we take our power back over our career trajectories and in the workplace. I also love that question that you asked or the statement that you made. Why is it important to relax? There, I feel like Working on that. I know. Seriously, my friend, you and I, right before we began recording, we were talking about the sort of guilt that we feel sometimes <laughs> taking time to scroll through TikTok or watch, yes. binge watch Netflix. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like that is another, that's a whole other podcast uh, topic for another time. Uh, and hopefully we get to do it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But again, thank you so, so much, Emily. You have given us a lot of, you know, nuggets of wisdom regarding reclaiming your power in the workplace and really understanding what makes us tick as a human being uh, or as human beings navigating in the world of work and, and just finding things that we enjoy doing, fulfilling our why. So I thank you so much for that. Everybody, thank you for listening to this podcast episode of Writing Our Way to Wellness, the Girls Right Now podcast, uh, the last episode of the very first season. So thank you to Yay! Girls Right Now. Thank you to Sally Familia, Catherine Destin, Vonnie Curro, who have been gracious in letting me host this episode. I am so thrilled and privileged to have been able to do so. And once again, folks, know that in your career, you are not and never will be powerless. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you. And with that, we wrap on our first ever season of Writing Our Way to Wellness. What a fantastic way to end the season with two wonderful Girls Right Now staff and a conversation filled with curiosity, connection, and compassion. Thank you for your listening ear this season. It has been such an honor to foster spaces that allow our beautiful Girls Right Now community to feel brave and empowered when talking about the writing and healing journey. Thank you for receiving us with an open heart. Catch us wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode is a production of Girls Right Now. It was recorded by Janine Marie Rousseau, edited by Vani Kura, and produced with the support of Catherine Dustin and Sally Familia. Thank you for your time and energy, and remember that if you can write, you can do anything.